This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overview. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. Why are we being so fast and quiet? Because we got to get in, got to get out before our childhoods end. My childhood ended. When? When was the exact moment that your childhood I think when ended? I, like, le- are we talking legally or are we talking like mentally? Because like, legally when I turned 18, my childhood ended. Mm. But they say that your brain keeps developing until your early 20s. Yeah. 30's a new 20. Does my does that mean my brain has 20's stopped? 20's a new 6. Has my brain has stopped developing and now it's doing whatever the opposite of developing is? Yeah, decaying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think actually exactly that is happening to our minds and bodies right now as we waste time doing this. Welcome so. to our uplifting book podcast where each week mm-hmm. one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. This week, Andrew read Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke. I sure did. Um, on Saturday, June 23rd, you can come see me talk about Redwall in Philadelphia at the Philly Pop Fest. Andrew, what's that code that I didn't prep you to say out loud? Well, I believe it's bit.ly slash overdue 2018, but let me double check that. While you double check that, I'm going to tell you it's at the Philly Improv Theater at yeah, that's 1.30 right. p.m. after Andrew and his appointment television pals do a show at noon. So hit that code. You could get tickets. That code, I mean that website. Yeah, bit.ly slash overdue 2018 is the code for overdue. Uh, bit.ly slash ATV Philly is the appointment television code. We Last time we did a show together, we were able to get tickets bundled together, and it didn't. It just didn't work out that time. Yeah. So uh, I would encourage you to come and see both shows, even if you don't listen to both shows, because it's fun. It's a fun mm-hmm. time. I'm in both of them, so how bad could it possibly be? Well, probably not bad at all. Come and find out. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about Arthur C. Clarke, Andrew. Okay, hit me. He's an old sci-fi author guy. Yes, he is. A End of research. British author, born in 1917, passed away in 2008. Um, he what? He got into like science and stuff. So like a couple of different random anecdotes of like how he got interested in science and the stars. Like he's just growing up. In Somerset, England, he's enjoying stargazing. He gets into fossil collecting uh, because he had dinosaur cigarette cards. Uh-huh. Cool. He gets the cigarette cards like baseball cards before the government came in and said that <laughs> cigarette companies couldn't sell things to kids anymore. Yeah, probably. <laughs> hey, kids, you love dinos? Bet you love smoking. Puff, yeah. puff, puff. Um, he was also interested in machines uh, and hardware and things that like things that go right because his grandmother had this cool like state of the art knitting machine. 
um, and he liked to see how it worked and and things like that. From an early age, he was writing and reading about space. Um, even like while he was still a student, he was in the Junior Astronomical Association, where he would write essays like advocating for space travel. Because at that time. There were people who were like, nah, can't do that. Don't do that. There was a debate about traveling to space. And he was like, what were the size of the debate? Was one like, oh, we have enough problems? Was maybe probably like, we don't want to make anybody mad by going out into space. Other pressing, yeah, maybe it's other pressing problems. Yeah. (laughs) Mm hmm. Um, uh, his first professional story, he had been writing in some like fanzines, which I really want to learn more about early 20th century fanzines. But he, uh, his first story was Loophole, published in 1946. Um, and his, he got this like, it was after he'd served in the in Second World War, um, where he was a, uh, he was in the Air Force, the Royal Air Force, and he was doing like radio transmission stuff, and a lot of that informed his initial predictions for geopositional satellites and all the technology that we use to like stream video into a moving car on our geopositional satellites being as i understand it a satellite that is orbiting the earth at the same rate that the earth is turning and so it is always at the same like relative yes. position and then becomes thus becoming a reliable thing to bounce telecommunications signals off of right um and then he goes you know he starts writing sci-fi uh even even more while he's also writing like non-fiction science books in the late 40s and early 50s and he gets this reputation as a scientific sci-fi writer like he is not um these folks kind of come a little bit later but he's not writing about necessarily social sciences and not fantastic space opera stuff though I want to ask a little bit about how this book has some kind of paranormal stuff in it. Uh-huh. Um, his first novel was Against the Fall of Night, um, which was expanded from a short story. Childhood's End was his third novel, also based off of a short story, which we can talk about. Yeah, but it was his first successful novel. Yes. <laughs> this, that's said in basically every story I read about him. Yeah. So, he, yeah, he had um, he had been writing uh, short stories for a while. This was adapted from a short story called Guardian Angel that uh, came out in 1946. Yeah. And that story, with a few tweaks, is um, is mostly preserved as the first, like third or so of this of this book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he'd been publishing short stories. He had a successful nonfiction book in 1951, The Exploration of Space. Yep. And then he he built on that with this with with a couple of novels that apparently didn't do well, and then this novel <laughs> that did do well. Uh, in 1948, he also wrote a short story called The Sentinel, and then this was the basis for the film 2001 a space odyssey which he created with a with a, a guy maybe you've heard of named stanley kubrick do you know him yeah i've heard of him okay just making sure that you're up on your film history they were group. also they were working on the screenplay and the novel in tandem but i guess there was some like bad blood about yeah like he didn't Clark didn't want the book to seem like a novelization of the movie but the order in which they were released I think ended up backing that up. Yeah, and apparently Kubrick wanted to remove a lot of the voiceover narration and other things that would would have helped explain what was happening in 2001 mm-hmm. a Space Odyssey and there was then also oh man, folks, I'd read about oh, this go ahead. sorry, I just read about this scene 
where like a man ran around in a spaceship for like 11 minutes to to demonstrate how boring space travel was. Yeah, and apparently... And, Cl- and it didn't survive to the final film, but Clark really didn't like it. He, like, left crying at intermission or something. Yeah, it was... Woof. Um, That's why montages were invented. Yes, true. Like, show us a montage of somebody being bored. Don't actually bore us in service <laughs> of showing us that your character is bored. Uh, Clark was part of what's considered, like, a big three of sci-fi writing in the mid-20th century... Asimov, Heinlein, and Clark. Um, I thought it was neat that he and Asimov had a treaty where they had decided together that Clark was the better science writer and Asimov was the better sci-fi writer. Seems like a very fine distinction. Yeah, well. And then he and Heinlein got along pretty well until Heinlein was really enthusiastic about Reagan's Star Wars initiative. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Clark, I think, testified in Congress against it. and then. Heinlein like got really upset and accused him of like undermining American interests and their relationship was pretty uh, cordial after yeah. that. Um, he what else? He uh, he moved to like he had a big presence in Sri Lanka. He moved there in the 50s, got really into like scuba diving and photographing ruins and stuff like that. Yeah. And there's some speculation that he did that because it was more culturally accepting of homosexuality. And he was a, I don't think I'd say he was closeted. Like he didn't make it part of his public identity, but he apparently was fairly open about it among close friends. Yeah. Yeah. He was like married for all of like, well, he was married for like 10 years, but he, he was only with his wife, Marilyn Mayfield, for like six months um, and then went on and spent like time with this man, Leslie, in, in Sri Lanka. Um, yeah. And it's it's weird, though. That, like there are decades of letters and other correspondence from Clark that has been like people aren't allowed to open to like 30 years after he dies because he does because who knows what kind of embarrassing stuff is in there, he <laughs> says. Neat. Um, so yeah, that that might shed a little bit more light on, on some of the personal bits of his life. But yeah, yeah that's that's the uh, speculation anyway. Yeah, because I don't. Th- I think UK's laws didn't change until like 1969, which is a real shame. Um, and then the last couple things, just in his passing, like he, uh, they named the 36,000 kilometer orbit after him, which is the orbit that a lot of satellites use, which is pretty cool. Um, he did comment he was a commentator for the apollo 11 flight on cbs america's most watched network and he (laughs) (laughs) he, uh, also like hours before he died this is like this bizarre story hours before he died there was a massive gamma ray burst that happened in Mm -hmm. 2008 that set a new record as the farthest object that could be seen from earth with the naked eye it occurred 7.5 billion years ago which is how long it took that light to reach Earth. Uh-huh. And a man named Larry Sessions uh, suggested that it be referred to as the Clark event. Because I guess the universe was, was sad that Arthur Clark died. Okay. Maybe they'd heard about him seven million billion years ago. I got to die in close proximity to something cool happening. So I get <laughs> something cool named after me. That sounds reasonable. Let's take a quick break and brainstorm what that could be. And then we'll talk about the book. Okay. Craig, check your check your watch. I want you to mark down the time. 
five years and something months into our book podcast, mm-hmm. we are advertising books. Whoa! <laughs> That's a revolution. That's like when they finally started putting ads for stuff next to stuff you were reading about. Like, oh, yeah. you're reading about razors? You might want some razors. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me who's who's trying to get the word out about books. It's Audible. You oh, know them. yeah. You know them. They're those audiobook people. Mm-hmm. For when you're too tired to read with your eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook and a 30-day trial membership. Uh, you just need to go to audible.com slash overdue and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash overdue or text overdue to 500-500 to get started today. Craig, why would people want to do that, though? Well, it's a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, sunbathing, beach running road tripping <laughs> beach running i love run on the beach it's hard i would love to have a book come with me um, okay. it's a good way to binge content you love while doing other things you love like the things i said um they've got the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet um you can also switch seamlessly between devices um using your phone or your car your tablet or your amazon echo um you can like read a book and then put it down and then start listening to it um hands and eyes free Audible members get a credit every month for any audiobook in the store, regardless of price, and unused credits roll over, which is a pretty dope deal. And you can exchange audiobooks that you don't like, no questions asked. That's pretty cool. I don't want them to ask me any questions. Yeah. So if you're looking for some audiobooks, um, the, the book we're talking about this week, actually, Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood's End, is available on Audible. I'm reading the first Mistborn book, Mistborn the Final Empire by Brandon Sanderson. The entire Mistborn series is on Audible. Yeah, so uh, if you're interested in any of that or in any of the other of the many, many, many audiobooks on Audible, go to audible.com slash overdue or text overdue to 500-500 to get a free audiobook and a 30-day trial membership. Get books in your ears. Do it. Andrew, my childhood ended when I saw Transformers 2. That killed your childhood? Specifically, yes. Because I don't think, like, everyone's like, oh, recapture your childhood, relive your childhood. I can't anymore because Michael Bay killed it, is what I'm saying. I just feel like it's it's not, the movie's not good enough to deserve that. Like, it's not. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Like, why are you giving him the satisfaction? Oh, I'm giving him too much power. Yeah. Like the like the car monsters in the Transformers movies. He has too much power. Tell me about this book. What is happening? Um, Childhood's End. It's a book about aliens. What else do you want to know? Who else is in the book? Is it just about the aliens? Well, no, it's about aliens and humans on the planet Earth. Oh, the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What happens in this story? Are you going to ever tell me? Do I just need to keep talking about my childhood until you tell me about this book? Okay, so in 1941... This well, is in fiction, right? No, wait, so hold on. In in World War II, uh-huh, there the, this, there's this picture of them on Wikipedia. It's dated 1941. There are these things called barrage balloons. Have you ever, have you ever seen these? No, I have not. They're just gigantic blimps that are used to defend against air attacks. Okay. Um, they, they, their main job is just to like sit there and float above the city and be a collision risk for any airplanes that are flying. Oh over. <laughs> yeah. Like a shield, just like a mm-hmm. magic force field. Of Basically. Balloons. 
Great. So if you go and see a picture of these barrage balloons just like floating over a city, it's kind of surreal a little mm-hmm. bit. And this image apparently is some is like a major inspiring factor. First in Guardian Angel, the short story this was was grown out of, and then for the book itself. Okay. Because one day aliens come oh, and they no. just got these big these big old big ships and okay. they the ships perch over majored cities all over the world and people are just like what what's happening and there are these guys there are these big old alien voices who are like hey it's chill cool, calm down we're here to help you <laughs> wait <laughs> yeah okay and some of and then they do start helping, but nobody is allowed to see the aliens. There's just like one guy from the I think the UN or something like the UN who is sent to like talk to this main alien guy. His name is Karelin. That's the name of the alien, not the guy. Okay. Um and so the aliens are helping humanity. But we but don't some some but, of humanity is like, wait, what? But really just we only have the UN guy's word to go on here. Like Well, and also like the the periodic communiques from the alien guy himself. And also the big present the presence of the giant ships. <laughs> sure. That that's... can't be attacked or damaged in any way. <laughs> okay. That at least that, that is ref I wanted to just make sure that we're not just like Hey guys, I talked to some aliens and I'm in charge now and they're in charge. No, it's not like that. It's just all of all of humanity like they slowly start benefiting a little bit and also I don't know, all the many countries of the world are just too scared to do anything and so they just kind of sit and they play nice cuz the aliens have not like they've they the only thing that's really disallowed is war. Sounds reasonable. Um, yeah, which seems cool. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's the first. The first book is about humanity adjusting to these aliens being there, and then also this this fella, um, whose name is Ricky Stormgren. Yes, the Secretary General of the United Nations. What? Um, he's the he's the guy who's going up to the ship and talking to Corellin. The Secretary General of the United Nations is named Ricky Stormgren. Yeah, well, R I K K I. Oh man! So it's not just like Ricky, like a guitar guy. Like a, <laughs> sure. You know how people who play a guitar are all named Ricky? Yeah, it's very true. I also like that. So the United Nations, I looked this up, was founded in 1945. Makes mm-hmm. sense, right? We mm-hmm. ended the World War II, the World War II. Yeah, the end of the World War II. And we started the United Nations. And the first challenge that they must face is aliens show up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's pretty dope. Um, and this, you said, this is the first book. Is there? It's divided into three? It's divided into three books. Okay. Um, cool. So yeah, the aliens like stated goal in here. They won't. They won't tell uh, Ricky their. I don't know, like their their end goal, but they just they want to prevent war and they want to help establish like a world state. Okay. So individual countries and stuff will cease to Whoa. matter, both huh. in terms of like security and culture eventually, which we can talk about a little bit later. Yeah. Okay. Um. And everyone just got to get along, and the aliens are here. The overlords, as they are called, are here to help. Are they 
I mean, this might be premature, but are they offering alternatives or are they just saying stop being different? All be the same, please. Like, are they? Well, I mean, offering... nobody nobody says that as such. They're okay. just saying here, let's let's cure disease and pollution and and want and whatever. And in doing that, like as as people cease to have competing interests and all their needs mm. are fulfilled, then all the other stuff sort of follows. Okay, that make I mean. This all sounds pretty good to me. Can you sign me up? Like, I don't see the problem here. Yeah, I don't really either. <laughs> the main um, resistance to the overlords in this early bit is our um, religious institutions. And so sure. in, in this book, these institutions are already in decline when the overlords show up because science is coming along and it's showing everybody to, like, not too much, but it's just explaining a lot about the world and the world's reaction to that is to stop caring as much about religion. Now, sure. I don't know that that like some parts of this book seem prescient. That one does not seem as prescient. Yeah, he didn't predict like YouTube flat earth channels on YouTube <laughs> is, I think, maybe a flaw in Clark's like he was referred to as the prophet of the space age. And I would love to know if where he thought YouTube was going to go. Cause I think he might've gotten it wrong is all. Yeah. It's like he, he assumes of humanity that when presented with evidence, like evidence that seems well, I don't know, like, like it's an experiment that is sound and it was like peer reviewed or whatever. And it's, and it's repeatable and it's, and it's hard to dispute that most humans would be like, well, okay, that seems fair. Yeah, I will take this information and I will change my worldview and my activities accordingly. And what you just so I'm used to sci-fi series that you know probably draw from this book and from Clark's work, where the aliens showing up is the first wave of people kind of uh, ditching previous beliefs. But th you're saying that th it's already on the decline, and kind of the aliens show up when the market's ripe for it, like. Already. Yeah, more or less. Like, okay. like these these organizations had already been fading, and the the overlord showing up just kind of accelerates this. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, like one of the I don't know. There's a little subplot where one of the religious organizations kidnaps Stormgren, and then the overlord finds him and gets him out, and the and and. Stormgren says, hey, Corellin, you know, so part of the reason why you've still got people who are skeptical is you seem like you have something to hide because you won't show yourself to anybody. <laughs> and Corellin's like, yeah, I guess that's right. Here, let me talk to my boss. And then they talk. And then Corellin's like, okay, this is not going to do a lot for you right now. But in 50 years, I promise that we'll show ourselves to Whoa. humanity. Which is like enough enough of a promise to sort of nip some of this insurrectiony stuff in the bud, but also so much time that by the time 50 years have elapsed, like most of humanity will not remember that moment a time without the overlords anyway. Yeah. That feels like if that now does, does so then Ricky goes back and tells the world like, Hey guys, just be patient. 50, 50 years, new album's going to drop. You're going to find out everything you ever wanted. Right. I feel like people would start like 
buying billboards that just say, what are you hiding? Hashtag alien hiders. Hashtag alien truth 2012, (laughs) 2018. Yeah. Again, I feel like there's another version of this story that is so less optimistic than Clark is. Yeah. <laughs> Which maybe but, um, so Okay. Oh, go okay, ahead. Go no, ahead. just go ahead. I was maybe just going to say it's refreshing it, then, and memorable. Yeah. yeah maybe. Yeah. Um so but Ricky does smuggle a little like not a kind of a high-tech camera kind of thing because he whenever he's talking to Corella and he's on the other side of this one side of glass and so he takes up this camera that can shoot a picture behind the one side of glass. Ooh. And like anytime humanity tries to do like a benign little something like this, the overlords basically seem like they anticipate it and don't get that upset about it. Okay. Like they've always got the big picture in mind. Sure, sure. And so in the in the short story, um, I'll just go ahead and say in the short story, I think Ricky sees like a barbed tail like sliding behind a door. Hmm. As Corellan runs away in the book, we, we, he, he has seen something and it has given him some kind of like acceptance or peace of mind, but we don't know what it is yet. Oh, the book doesn't tell you. Okay. Well, not, not in the first. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's the first book. Great. Aliens show up. Nobody quite knows what to make of it. It seems like it could be okay though. (laughs) Sure. I I took a picture, but you don't get to know what's in the picture. Right. Okay, so book two. Uh, golden Age, it's called. And oh, it's because it's a golden age of humanity, because they don't need anything anymore. They, there's no need or want or disease. Like, everything's just kind of cool. And is the does the book go into any detail on what that is? Or is it just like the overlords gave us dope technology that cured all the cancer? Like, do you know what I mean? I mean, that doesn't get into, like, specific, like, Theranos blood machines that fix all the disease. But it's, you are just, so the the story is told through a few different perspectives. Always, almost always human. It's, like, third person omniscient, but it's, it closely follows a few different humans. Okay. And so what you get most of the time is you're just experiencing the world as a, as a human of that time would experience sure. it. Okay. So you're kind of picking up that the overlords have eliminated disease and done all this stuff and brought all this technology without like seeing anything specific, but just like, you know, it's true because you're in person alive in this era, you know? Yeah. Like it doesn't have a story where, Oh, here's the, here's the synthetic thing we didn't know we needed. To... Here's the tale of how the overlords cured the cancer. Yeah. 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 I'm just like, what it sounds like Clark is interested in is kind of the the philosophical ramifications of what this would happen rather than like let me invent some sci-fi technology to explain what the aliens had that we don't. Yeah, that it's more of the first thing. Okay. Okay, sure. So we're living in the golden age. I guess we're making like dope art and stuff because we don't have to fight each other for We dirt. actually aren't really anymore because like Nothing interesting is happening anymore. Oh, snap. <laughs> so part of part of the Overlord's technology, like one specific piece of technology that does get brought up is they have basically this time travel TV where you can go <laughs> and watch anything. 
happening that, that ever happened and so that means everything from like solving murders and crimes to like seeing what jesus's whole deal was what <laughs> so you could just go back in time and see how things actually happened did they have cameras the whole time i listen i don't know Is how this... they're doing this except i mean it's all things get timey-wimey to borrow a phrase sure. from a science fiction franchise that I have that I do not watch and have no particular <laughs> affection for <laughs> but it's the best way to describe what's happening is like time gets a little wobbly um we'll talk about why the overlords are here and who they're working for that yeah. kind of gets into sure, it sure sure um but so yeah, there's there's just like not a lot of surprise. There's not a lot of mystery. There's not a lot of like everything is so objective and it's so easy to find the truth hmm. of anything that you don't there like art is still made, but it clearly pales in comparison to the stuff that was being made like pre-Overlord. Yeah, cuz it's it's not driven by any actual like human conflict and desire. Because right. all things are cared for. Yeah, because you don't want for anything and you don't wonder about anything because everything seems pretty pat most but of the time. But they're not telling us about like life in the universe or where they come from or right. what kind of food they like. Right. Like, okay. So this is a little, this whole second book, I believe in the beginning of the second book is when we see the overlords, like they, the 50 years pass and an overlord steps down and shows itself. And um, it looks an awful lot like a classical representation of, of a devil, like a demon devil, like the devil went down to Georgia kind of devil, like a Christian sort of devil, Christian art sort of devil. Okay. Okay. I don't know if that's the same as devil went down to Georgia devil. It's, I mean, in like cartoon depictions of that song that reference it. Yes. But I don't know that that song specifically tells you what the devil looks like. <laughs> okay. I'm just, you know, just trying to have a good time here with my, with my devil, with what little devil knowledge I have. They are large bipeds with cloven hooves, leathery wings, horns, and tails. Neat. So, okay. So it's been 50 years and religion has mostly died out. So people are just like, oh, cool. But they aren't really. <laughs> they're not like, oh, really... we got to burn the devils because it's because they're bad. Yes. They, they out. They waited until all the people who would want to do that, like died or got all their problems taken care of. Sure. Smart plan overlords. Yeah, smart, smart plan overlords. So, uh, so yeah, the overlords, like they don't mingle with humanity a ton but they do come to the planet to do research they seem mostly interested in um in um like paranormal research and like historical manifestations of that huh okay like ghosts like they're ghosts just kind of like supernatural happenings not really ghosts okay so just like x files just things that can't easily be explained mm, yes i see um and people just kind of think oh they're they're just like trying to learn more about more about the planet and we do get some we do get some descriptions of the overlords and like how cool and smart they are because <laughs> like they never have to sleep oh some characters suspect like if they're reading a book 
when you're turning a page like once every six seconds anyway, but they think maybe they can read a book with each eye. Like they can definitely oh. talk to people and read a book at the same time and be fine. Like they just have a lot more mental capacity than humans. Do they do. have a different language than us? They do. It's it's kind of a like a low grade telepathy, I think, but okay. they do also just speak English to people. Sure, 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 sure. Um Okay. So they're devils who are interested in the paranormal. And why didn't does this part of the book tell us why they didn't want us to see them? Like does it explain I mean that's that's it's mostly just about not wanting to shock people like we've okay. already talked about that but is it because like do we hmm it does it explain that link between the image and the overlords i mean that's i did ex- by pointing the link out i've given but you why, as much but as the why, book gives you but why were we afraid of them in the first place is what i'm saying like why did that we'll become, get to it. oh see that's what i'm getting at okay <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay we'll get to the ex- you you are the overlord of this podcast every 10 minutes i'm like tell me about the book you're like but wait a second wait the stars are not for man oh. which is the thing that they say to keep people from going into space oh sh- oh man because we haven't gone to space yet <laughs> Yeah, like we were working on it when they got here. We basically find out later the overlords saw us developing like space rockets and nukes and we're like, hey, we should go and make sure they don't blow themselves up. <laughs> okay. Because just statistically, they're going to blow themselves up. Sure. Okay. So they, yeah, they crashed the space race before we got there. Okay. Pretty okay, much. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, th- this is a little bit. After like I don't I don't remember if it if it says exactly how long after this like fifty year thing is but it's been like it's been a few generations since the sure. overlords showed up okay um, if I, there there may be some people still alive who were here pre overlord but for the vast majority of humanity this is just what normal is now okay okay um and so we we are at this party with a few people. Um, there's this guy named Jan Rodericks who is a, an astrophysicist. Um, there's this guy, Rupert Boyce, who's just like a rich gadabout who has a house in the middle of the ocean that he invites everybody to. <laughs> Sounds good. And there are these two people named George and Jean Gregson. And then there's some other people, but these are the ones you mainly need to know about. Okay. And um, Rupert is like everybody, like everybody come gather around and look at this weird Ouija board that I have and isn't this like it's just part of this collection that he has of of like pre overlord like paranormal stuff occultish stuff yeah Yeah. um and this is then there's an overlord there uh Rishavarak who is there just like studying all the books and stuff that that Rupert has Rupert has just this big collection of things and so there's an overlord there and also there's a party there and so they're all doing this Ouija board and some stuff is revealed. No, It sounds like gibberish to most people, but the last thing that happens is that this number is spelled out. Okay. And to most people, it's like, what? That doesn't seem like anything. But to Jan, who's an astrophysicist, who is, who does... He's not resentful of the overlords because he knows they've done a lot of stuff and they don't seem to wish anybody any specific ill, but they did halt like the Earth's 
uh, space program, like collectively, like yeah. humanity is not going to the stars anymore because the overlords are here. Any kind of resents that. Well, a little yeah, because Age of em- like Earth was playing Age of Empires, mm-hmm. and sounds like Jam was doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And then the overlords showed up with the cheat codes, and the game wasn't fun anymore. Sure, like all of a sudden you didn't need to actually mine anything because the overlords just had all your stuff for you, right? And then there was no reason to fight even, anybody else. Do like how do you even go to astrophysics class? Like, weren't don't, don't we just know all of the stuff we need to know now? Well, I mean, they haven't told us everything. Like, they mm. don't tell us stuff about how their ships work. Oh, that and would people... stink. Oh, I'm so Team Jan right now. Oh man, <laughs> if there are super smart aliens in the sky who like just they can keep proving to us that they know everything, but they won't tell us all of it. But they still make us go to school. In case we have to, in case we can learn on our own. Well, it's not even a making them go to school. It's just like that's a thing. They haven't disallowed it, but most humans who are working on that kind of stuff were like, well, the overlords are so much further ahead than us anyway. Like, what even is the point of trying to do this? Oh, no. Um, I'm not on board anymore. I'm I'm off board. So so this number comes up, and Jan's like, hey, that sounds familiar. So he goes to this big old chart of all the stars, and this number ends up corresponding to the star that is in the direction that the overlord ships go when they, you know, when they bounce from Earth to like go back home for something. Because they need a break from our nonsense. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> okay. um, so, huh. um, so Jan go- is okay. so okay. So George and Gene Gregson, they are like really wigged out by this Ouija board thing. We'll come back to them later. Great. Um, but Jan, like the overlords are collecting a bunch of stuff from earth to like to study or to put in a museum or whatever. And so he talks to this like marine biologist dude who is like, okay, I'm putting together like this taxidermied whale that they can go and that they can take back to their home planet. You stow away in this whale whoa, and go to the planet and you'll be the first person whoever made it to the overlord homeworld. But because of the way that like time gets affected as you travel close to the speed of light, it's going to seem like a journey of a few months to you, but it's going to be 40 Mm. years one way from the perspective of anybody on either planet. So if he makes it back, it's going to be a long time. It's going to be a different place. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Neat. This sounds like, that sounds like a good plan. Okay. Then what? Book three is called The Last Generation. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay, so yeah, Corellin has been talking to humans about, you know, just about why they're, just a little bit about why they're there and what they're doing. It's not it's not hugely relevatory because he's still hiding a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but um, he is explaining why humans can't go okay. to the stars okay. generally. Um, because it's been discovered that this guy is a stowaway, and so he's like, "All right, let's let's just clear the air. Here's what's up. It is a bitter thought, but you must face it. The planets you may one day possess, but the stars are not for man. The stars are not for man. Yes, it would annoy them to have the celestial portal slammed in their faces, but they must learn to face the truth, or as much of the truth as could mercifully be given to them. From the lonely heights of the stratosphere, Corellin looked down upon the world and the people that had been given into his reluctant keeping. He thought of all that lay ahead and what this world would be only a dozen years from now. 
They would never know how lucky they had been. For a lifetime, mankind had achieved as much happiness as any race can ever know. It had been the golden age, but gold was also the color of sunset, of autumn, and only Corellan's ears could catch the first wailings of the winter storms. And only Corellan knew with what inexorable swiftness the golden age was rushing to its close. So things are pretty good for humans, but it's about not to be. <laughs> that's a that's, that's some good writing from Clark. I like that. I like gold into autumn. That's pretty yeah. good. yeah. Um, but it really get like a lonely Superman vibe from Corell in there. A little <laughs> like, bit. Okay. Well, is he trying to pin it on us stone away on that whale? Because I think that no, we did No, 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 no. Okay, no. okay. No. It's, I, it's, I it's unrelated. Like the golden age is coming to a close regardless of how many whales we'd stow <laughs> away in. Okay. So how does, uh, what does the winter of mankind then look like? Okay, so this is where the book gets a little wacky. <laughs> yeah. Turn it up. Okay, so you know how I said that art isn't really getting made anymore? Yes. Um, And individual cultures have been fading away, and some people on Earth, not in like a racist, like ethnostate kind of way, it's worth noting that um, Jan is a uh, black man. And some people, so he, um, the guy who stowed away, while he was working on the on the ending of this book visited this friend of his Ian McCauley, who was, um, who was an anti-segregationist and, um, Clark was finishing the final chapter, like as they were talking and some people have said, you know, that's, that's a reason why Jan who ends up being spoilers, uh, the last human. Oh dear. Because of the time displacement. Oh thing. no. <laughs> um, he is a black man, which is okay. just interesting. Yeah, because um, it's my understanding that it took a little while for Clark to settle on the ending of this book. Yeah, so let's talk about the ending, then we can talk about why it took him so long to settle, and then I think we'll be done. Okay. <laughs> so things are going okay, but there is this there's this contingent of humanity, and they're not like full on rebelling against the overlords or anything, but they are like, what if we what if we built some what if we built this refuge where we could go and just kind of live life with with fewer of the appliances that that the overlords have given us which where where we're like making theater and trying to make art and trying to do stuff and what if we just went and did that so like people who like modern day victorians is what you're saying yeah kind of okay not not like that it it is like what if we went and lived in the past before the overlord showed because because even though this modern age has given us all kinds of stuff like have we lost something of ourselves yes okay okay in in this yeah um and they've and they take kind of a ask forgiveness not permission (laughs) attitude when building this little this little community, Uh-oh. but um, it's this island community named uh, there. The one where the people live on is called Athens, and then there's like a volcano that it's connected to called Sparta. Okay. Um, so George and Jean Gregson and their kids, um, Jeffrey and something else, Jennifer, Jennifer, sure. who's a baby. Okay. Um, they are all hanging out. They're hanging out on this island. There's a community here. The overlords have come. It seems like they're being fairly chill about it and things seem to be going pretty well okay um but one day there's a tsunami and jeffrey is overplaying on sparta when it happens and all the water gets sucked away from the beach and he's like man i'm where'd all the water go i should go out to where the water was and investigate and as you might know 
when uh, during a tsunami or like a big hurricane or any sort of weather event, if the ocean recedes from where it normally is, you're not supposed to go out onto no. the bed where all that water used to be because that water is going to come back and is going to come back too fast for you to That's, do anything it's about the it. Ocean winding up a punch, like yeah, no. stay away. But Jeffrey hears this voice. And the way he describes it, it's pretty obvious that it's an overlord voice telling him to like get to higher ground just in time, so he's fine. Okay, okay. And this gives George and Gene a sort of pause, because they since that night of the Ouija board, they've sort of, Gene especially, lost interest in any of that like supernatural occult stuff she was interested in before. Because um, it was too scary? They, well, or... for, she, was just getting a, she was just getting a weird vibe. Okay, okay. And they've continued to have sort of a weird vibe. And then when they hear that Jeffrey has been like caught, like saved by an overlord, they get another weird vibe. And Uh so they just get these weird vibes. And then eventually Jeffrey starts having these dreams Mm. where he's out like traveling on all these bizarre worlds, like going further and like the, so we're getting a narration from overlords in between all these descriptions of the dreams that Jeffrey's having. And it's clear that he is first on worlds that they have visited before, but then like going out and out and out until he's in places where even they haven't visited in his dreams. Okay. And then the distinction between like waking life and dream stops mattering that much. And then the baby it's like her rattle starts like floating in the air. Okay, so we've because, got some like, X Men stuff going on. Yeah, so we got some we got some weird stuff happening, and what ends up happening is the it starts with these two kids, but every kid on Earth sort of loses their indiv- individuality and ceases to be human and becomes just like part of this gigantic child hive mind like this higher consciousness okay and then the overlords are like yeah it it turns out it was our job to come here and like husband this husband your race and and like help birth this new hyper consciousness thing whoa (laughs) we're supposed to come here and keep you from blowing yourselves up so you could become this um, if you're still a human on Earth, if you're like an adult, it's not going to affect you. You can't have any more kids. You're the last generation of humans. <gasps> uh, do what you will about it. Whoa. So do um, they become, do they, they don't become devil kids, though. They just no, become they don't psychic become devil super kids. kids. They just, yeah, they, they are not individuals anymore. And so the overlords relocate them all to their own continent where they eventually just like stand and stare into space. Whoa. <laughs> and the remnants of humanity, I don't know, they blow their self, themselves up, they blow each other up. And then eventually, like by, by the time Jan gets back from the Overlord's homeworld, and there's a whole sequence where he's like going through a museum and he's, he's seeing things on the Overlord's planet. Um, like other species and stuff? Or well, the relics of other species. Okay. Okay. Um, because it turns out, like, the overlords are better than humans, like, mentally and technologically, but also they can't, like, hit this next stage of evolution. So they're kind of jealous of humanity in a way, because whatever the overlords are, it's sort of a dead end, and all they can do is go around and, and do the bidding of this uh, overmind that's that's controlling them and, like, help 
different races like join this giant mass collective uh, consciousness thing. Okay. Get it? You still following? I do. I Yeah, that's a real bummer for the overlords, huh? Yeah, it's kind of sad a little bit. Neat. So it okay, and then he comes back and does he so, uh, so yeah, Jan's Jan's back. Um, he like we get most of this information through a conversation between Jan and Corellan, I think. Okay. And then, like, people are just not people, but the overlords and and Jan are all just kind of waiting for something to happen. Mm. And then eventually, like, the moon starts rotating differently, and the Earth starts rotating differently, and the overlords are like, okay, the creepy overmind kids are like are just like messing with the way that the earth is so it's probably not safe for us to be here anymore jan do you want to come with us and jan's like no i want to stay and i'm gonna die with my planet and so the overlords leave and jan stays and he's like broadcasting back to them what he's experiencing because the the overlords would like to learn more about the overmind because they don't even know because they don't even know, and they would they would maybe like to have a chance to also like hit Whoa. a next stage in their evolution or whatever. So all the the kid energy like floats off into space, <laughs> and the Earth disintegrates, oh and that's God. the end of the book. Yo, <laughs> that took a turn. It did take a turn, and so um, we talked about Clark having trouble with the ending of this book. Part of the reason he had. <laughs> trouble with it is it gets pretty like magical at the end and yeah. he was um you know he like like we said he is a science fiction writer who liked to have some kind of science backing up the stuff that he was he was writing yeah um, yeah and so he didn't really do stuff like this in in later books no that he wrote like this it's not like this is the first book in a series or something i don't think he ever came back to this and revisited it but um but yeah, just that they become magical child energy and and float off to join a collective consciousness in space is a little loosey goosey, I think. Sure, but I scientifically can't... speaking, yeah, he he. I think there was a quote from him in like the early '90s where he said he was a total skeptic about this stuff, despite being fascinated with the paranormal earlier uh-huh. in his career. And from a, I don't in. My gut reaction to it is that it's the only way to really maybe not maybe stick the landing is a weird way to put it, but it's the it's for me a cool way to deliver on what the overlords are up to because like if they are these space colonizers, right? Cuz that's what they mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Um it is an interesting thing to then have them not to have them also in servitude to a to a greater power and yeah so like, both both that and i guess i was expecting the book to go to a place where the humans would get tired of the of the overlords mm. like vague benevolence and would like fight rise back up. against it and like whether that would be justified or not you know i can see an ending of this book where the overlords would be not mad but disappointed and they would leave humanity to blow itself up you know what i mean yeah like, that, that's an interesting <laughs> That that is one way to go, and I think I've seen that. I've seen that yeah, story definitely. before, and it's yeah. what is fascinating to think about is when this book came out, right? Because it came out what we said it was like fifty three, yeah. 53. So it feels like it almost predates 
or does predate a lot of the fiction that we're used to where it's like all the aliens show up and they like promise us these gifts and then somebody smart maybe played by will smith says these gifts are not human we're gonna blow these dudes up and then Mm -hmm. they do and maybe we live to fight another day and like maybe it and maybe the aliens ended up having suspect motives the entire time or maybe they didn't well and these aliens sort of did but the point is that there's a transcendence that is supposed to be possible and and probably like if we did encounter a species that was that developed like there probably would be some sort of transcendence because like that's another thing i'm thinking about you were talking about like they cured all the diseases and they gave us all the food we needed like the way you look at science today and this was maybe not something clark was thinking of like there's all this like the silicon valley rich geeks who are like let's cure dying like let's just (laughs) like the fact that this book doesn't make a left turn into like eternal digital human consciousness or some other like i guess it does sort of in that it's like eternal super kid consciousness that floats into space Mm -hmm. um but like the overlords don't cure the the basic frailty of the human body Right. right. They just kind of are, are there to turn them into some sort of super being by like studying Ouija boards. I guess was that like it's not to- by stu- so um this is presented as a thing that was inevitably going to happen and oh, okay. the overlords were studying it in an effort to figure out where it was gonna start and to whom. Oh, okay. And at this Ouija party, they just happened to find the person who, like, the first seeds of this were present. Very in. lucky. Um, okay. And yeah, so so I said earlier that we get back to the devil imagery thing. Um, it's assumed for most of the book, and, and Jan assumes up until the end, that there had been, like, a previous failed contact, like, way oh. back in humanity's past. Okay. And that the devil imagery survived because you know it just like passed down into myth or whatever um and what actually is the case like the the devil like the way the overlords look is not a memory of humankind but like a premonition that those beings would appear and like end humanity in their way even even as they were beginning something else well and so okay so in that that again gets into into supernatural stuff and time being like a wobbly concept that's interesting Mm -hmm. i dig that huh well it's a a neat book it sounds like it is like kind of embracing the fact that these like multiple reveals of like, Oh, it's this thing. You think it's going to be about this. And then it's about something else. Or then it's like the, the characters, the overlords are actually up to something else. You didn't really name a lot of characters other than Ricky and the folks at the end. Is that, is it kind of that version of science fiction that's so concerned with the macro that like the individual story arcs are really in service of this larger thing? That's, mostly true and then just the the characters i did name are the ones who we experience most of the book yeah so um the human perspective we get through most of the first book would be ricky um most of the second book we get through um jan and then he comes back at toward the end of the third book and then the beginning part of the third book we get through george okay the gregson's yeah 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 yeah. okay 
Okay. Um, and then you pop around a little bit and you can see some things that other characters are doing, but yeah, it's just, it's just a handful of perspectives that we get the bulk of the story from. Hmm. Okay. Was Clark, is he like excited about this? Is he, what do you mean? <laughs> what? I'm just trying like, okay, it's just a thing that happens. So like, do you get the sense? Like, what is it? What is it about? Like, what is it? Because well, I don't know if these are real. And he's probably not saying that this is what's going to happen to humanity. But is it? No, a, I don't think that's what he's saying. No. What is he saying then? What's he what's he up to? Do you think? I think he has he has some interesting things to say in the in between about why people fight and like. Mm, OK. Why people make art and. Um, and, and like what drives humanity now. Sure. Okay. And also, you know, some stuff about the bomb, like why we might blow each other up. Like yeah. that might just happen. Like this is being written in the in the early 50s when this specter had just started looming over humanity and it had not been that long ago that they were used. And so who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Sure. Um, Did your version. Can I just ask a, a, a technical question? Um, was the version that you read the updated one where the like beginning of the book is like there was a space race to Mars rather than to the moon? I heard about it. Yeah. So yeah. in in um in 1990, Clark updated the book a little bit, and it's it's almost I think if not exclusively, then almost exclusively in the first little bit where the overlords actually show up because that's that's all you get of earth pre overlord like before they start affecting the development of technology and um and uh culture okay um so uh i think most copies either ship with the original or with both so my ebook copy that i got from amazon um it was the original was like in line, like as you're reading the book, like that's the version you get. And then the updated version was included as like an appendix. Oh, neat. Okay. Um, I just think that's cool because he did that, but obviously it was such an important book for when it was written. It'd be good to have both. That's kind of sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, great. That sounds like a, a neat book where humanity gets erased by our desire to join an alien overmind. Uh-huh. Or it, an over, aliens overmind's desire to have us. Mm -hmm. that's more likely to actually happen, I think. <laughs> Tell us how you think our humanity's childhood will end by writing in to overduepod at gmail.com. Um, you can also hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at overduepod. A bunch of folks have reached out in the last week, both about our uh, Heard the Owl Call My Name episode and the Homer Time episodes. So thanks to Glenn, Michelle, Yanira, uh, Shellen, Becky, Tori, Michael, Nora, Charlotte, Scott, Tabitha, Stephanie, and Morgan, who shared a cool article on our Facebook about the Alert Bay residential schools. And I was reading a little bit more about the truth and reconciliation efforts of Canada to talk about how those schools actually were like pretty destructive for Native culture. So you can, mm -hmm. I would recommend reading a little bit more about that. Um, Andrew, this book was recommended to us by one of our Patreon supporters, Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. Where can folks find more about our Patreon? Uh, they can find more about Patreon and a whole lot of other stuff by going to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there, we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, RSS. Um, those are all the feeds you can use to subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they come out on Mondays and bonus episodes when they come out whenever. 
Um, Patreon specifically, you can find there or at patreon.com slash overdue pod. Um, if you donate to us on a monthly basis, you can get a bunch of cool stuff, including early access to bonus episodes, um, the ability to sit and listen to us record those bonus episodes. I believe we've got one of those coming up, um, pretty, pretty imminently. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, some, some other neato Frito stuff. So patreon.com slash overdue pod. Craig, what are you reading next week again? Remind um, me. Mistborn, The Final Empire by Brandon Sanderson. Neat. All right, everybody. Uh, get hyped for that, and we'll see you next week. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.